This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher is now trying not to do the thing that I actually really love that he does. He looks like the Muppet announcer puppet. Mm, announcer face, which you can't see because it's a podcast. Finish and we're not, the, finish oh, the, I'm Christopher. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And that's it, right? That's all we do at that's the beginning? Yeah, okay, that's, that's all good. we do. I say thanks at the end. You know what some podcasts are doing? No, what are they doing? They're opening with a little intro like you would hear on NPR. Like, I listen to this podcast called Faded Mates, which is a romance podcast, romance writing podcast. Uh-huh. And um, they start with an inter- We don't interview people anymore that often. Rarely we interview people on this podcast. But they interview people all the time. I was going to say. And they start with an interview quote. And then they say, you're listening to the voice of such and such, such and such. So I think we should do that with each other. We should take the dumbest thing I said in the course of the podcast, and then you can come in all pre-recorded and be like, you're listening to the voice of Christopher Rice, who thinks he can do math, as he can't, as evidenced by that last clip. (laughs) Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about such and such and such and such. The point, we don't have to do what other podcasts do, because we are our own thing. So is this self-contained? Are we done with this? Now? Yeah, I didn't really have a big intro. Okay. I was so I was so invested in not doing, what is it, puppet announcer face yeah, or just, Muppet announcer face? Muppet announcer face. It oh, was really, great. it's really, I thought it was, I, I'm fond of it. Okay, I'll do it next week then. Well, just do your usual thing like you usually do. You can't tell people stuff and then they, I was on stage once. I did a, a production of, um... Uh, the Robber Bridegroom, a million years ago, and I played a character named Goat, and uh, we sang a song called, I think me and Little Harp sang a song called Poor Tied Up Darlin', which is a lovely note. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's that Eudora Welty. She's really, she gets- Not a BDS thing, M thing, I'm taking it. She gets crazy. No, it's worse than that, I think. Like, <laughs> Good. Yeah. Oh, good. Let's I not think go it's there. like rape and yeah. abduction or okay. something. It's you know, it's, it's non-consensual. Yes. Good old um, yes. Country fable fun. Oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> good old country violence. It's it's you know it's a lighthearted thing, but it is talking about a different time in the world. Uh, anyway, yeah, okay. So that's not the point of it. Anyway, there's a point at the end where. We make an agreement at the end of the song, and we shake hands, and that's the end of the song. And we stood there holding each other's hand, looking into each other's eyes as the audience was responding to our song, clapping and mm-hmm. whatever, and applauding. And I always found it really interesting because there was a lot communicated between us mm-hmm. as we stood there silently mm-hmm. looking at So I commented on it, and then he started doing all these weird things with his face, and it was like... 
Oh, no. Uh, no. He's trying to do it now. Oh, no. Now it's horrible. It's oh, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to mess with you. He was actually tr- overdoing what was, he had already been right. doing. Okay. That's sad. It was like, oh, I shouldn't have said anything. You ruined it. I ruined it. It's the Eisenberg principle of uh, yeah. personal experiences. <laughs> Tell people what the Eisenberg uncertainty principle is, because a lot of people who listen to our podcast so Observing something are changes the thing. Okay, yes, That's basically The act the, of observing the thing changes. Changes the thing. And so if you observe to somebody a relationship thing that you like about them, you'll never see it again. Yeah. So I've ruined it. So the do whatever you want at the Muppet beginning. will be back next week. Let's not You'll get, forget. You're a very dramatic person, Eric You'll forget. I'm not, I'll forget that you said this thing. Um, uh, we're having a party today, Eric. Did you know? We're having a party. It's a party episode. Party! Woo! Do you know what the party's for? I was not consulted in any planning details for the party. You're, you're sort of, I was going to say you're the guest of honor, but you're really not. I'm the guest of honor. Well, of course you are, Christopher. Everybody drink. I made it about me again. I have a new book coming out. And sometimes... And you I, think there should be a party to take your mind off of it? <laughs> yes, I don't think it's going to do very well, and I want to be distracted, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so just roll out the tray of cocaine and the strippers, and let's just get crazy. We got all the permits. We're fine. Fireworks are legal again. So we're celebrating your new book. We are. We're celebrating What's it called, Christopher? It's called Decimate. When does it come out? It, it was published on May 10th, so it's already out. Where is it available? It's available from Amazon, and don't make me make the speech I made on the last episode. And if you want it from your bookstore, you can tell them and they yes. can order it from Amazon. But it and is if, an Amazon publication, so it probably won't already be there. They will not probably keep regular inventory because they choose not to. But if your bookstore starts to tell you a story about how they can't order it because it doesn't have that's any return or an ISBN number, that's not actually true. That's true of independently published print on demand titles. It is not true of Amazon Publishing's imprints. However, you may encounter a bookstore that does not want to order an Amazon title. And that is their choice. And unfortunately, I can do nothing about that. But Amazon makes but the book But you can go to a different available. bookstore and ask them to order you the book if the bookstore you asked to order you the book decides to be dicks about it. Because I'm yes. sorry, that's just being a dick about it. It is being a dick about it. Because but Amazon doesn't care, and the only person you're punishing, they're punishing is you and Christopher. Yeah, absolutely. Neither of you deserve that. Um. So... Yeah, but we decided to celebrate by asking our party people a question. This was the Wednesday question, which we do frequently, every Wednesday, in fact, on our Facebook page. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, most Wednesdays. Let's go with most Wednesdays. Okay, look. No, no, there's... I don't know if there's ever been a... Wen- okay, I don't know if there's recently been a Wednesday. <laughs> okay, I can think of maybe four or five. Okay, so most Wednesdays. Some days it's late. That's what I'm saying. Some days it's late Wednesday. We're going to start calling it the Wednesday question. <laughs> Wednesday question. It's very Viking. It's a Viking goddess of the lateness. Winstish. The god, the Viking god of lateness. Winstish. We think. Or Thursdish. His yeah, sister. His sister Thursdish or Winstish. Yeah. In there. We asked people um, what their scariest book that they've ever read is. Because Decimate is very, very scary. It is very, very scary. I did a, I did a romance novel a few it's months ago. Very, very scary. And it was not scary. This is scary. So I have multiple gears, and if you get on this one with me, you will be shifting gears, okay? This is not a Sapphire Cove novel. No, this is no. not. You are nowhere near the beach on this one. Nowhere near You're the beach. Nowhere there. There is... There is a little kind of romance. Mm, 
Is there? What is? What kind of romance? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There is for teeny tiny teeny, romance. Tiny, teeny, teeny tiny. It does not overwhelm the scary. I'll tell no. you. But there is a little bitty bit. Although we have this problem, Christopher and I. Christopher brings me books, and I say, "Well, you should do this and this." And then he goes away and completely rewrites them. And I say, oh, well, I love that part. Oh, that's not in there anymore. Because you told me to do this and this. Like, that's the thing. Once you do this, there are repercussions. This does not <laughs> exist in isolation. So we'll see how much of Christopher's book, because I think this is one of those books where I read it before you rewrote it. And yes, then, that's correct. And so I don't actually know exactly what's in this book, but I have a really good idea. Here's why. And he, okay, yeah, that's correct. This book was more... Well, those statements always end up not being true. This book was massively rewritten. I wrote a very rough first draft. I didn't do an extensive outline. I gave it to you. I gave it to my editor. I got extensive notes, and I did a major rewrite because there was an element. The book is a paranormal thriller, and there was an element of it that was not fleshed out enough to anyone's satisfaction, including mine, and I really fleshed it out. I made it a detailed... Uh, I'm not going to say anything because it's spoilery. Yeah. But well, what um, would you say? What would be your sort of log line about the book? What's the sort of death is not the end? Supernatural death is death not is the not the end. end. Wow. De I mean, we did an episode. I almost wanted to hold this because we did an episode a few months ago, yeah. or not, or maybe a month ago. I think it was last month. Is this it? Is the yeah. title of the episode? And we talked to our party people about what they believed about what comes after death. Obviously, it's a topic that's been on our minds because we just said goodbye to Anne. Yeah. Um, and it was a topic that was always on her mind. And she was so fired up about me tackling. I, didn't, I don't know if I ever had the chance to tell her what the book was about in any detail. And she didn't live long enough to read it. But um, she, I told her it was going to incorporate near-death experiences. And, I mean, she started sending me through Amazon, her favorite delivery service, Every book on the subject that she could find. I mean, it just every few days, another book about, you know, the study and the science and the doctors who have and analyzed it. And there would be no it. explanation. It would just oh, yeah. come to you from Amazon. That's how it was with her. Yeah. You would just get things from Amazon. You'd think, I don't remember ordering this. And sometimes they were things you maybe didn't want. Oh, yeah. Sometimes she would forget and leave it set to me. And I would, that get, was the best. And I would get her stuff. Mm -hmm. That was also really funny. She'd what leave was it set it? on my like address. Like Pepto-Bismol, Metamucil? It was or? like my Lanta, my Lanta and a book about uh, life after uh, <laughs> near-death experiences <laughs> and uh, and something by Tolstoy. and <laughs> My Lanta presents. And, and a nightgown. Anna Karenina. <laughs> <laughs> but and then that she would actually deliberately send you stuff that you didn't oh, want. Oh my god! Yeah. The, the screens that I actually had to send that back. That was she so weird. She sent me all of these um, screens for like you know those folding screens like you put in the corner in the living room. Yeah. Because you have a big living room and not a lot of furniture and space. I'm not one of those people. My living room is not only not that big, but it is full. Yeah. My living room full. is full. Do not send more furniture. Um, so we actually had to take them back out to the desert. The best was when I had appendicitis, she said she texted me something very cryptic like, Don't worry about um uh like recovery wear. Oh my now god. That you're, now that you're you know, now that you're back from the hospital, right. I'm sending a few things so you don't have to worry about laundering the pajamas or whatever. And she sent me an entire closet full of, I'm going to go with bejeweled caftans. That's bedecked and bejeweled. Kind of the best description I can. It was 
really hysterical. They're all in my closet in my bedroom at her house because I took them all back out there because I was going to wear them, you know, when we were all together because mm. that would have been the most fun. And yeah. I did wear one of them to her birthday. Oh, that's to right. To her birthday you did party. Get I did to wear one. Yeah. I wore one of them to her last birthday party. And yeah. so that was great. She was very appreciative. Yeah. It was very sparkly. You looked um, great. You looked like a princess. It was really hysterical. But it was, and, and so the books would come almost constantly, just like the nightgowns. And they were, ba- they did they provide you with substance for underlying substance? They, for, they reviewed for a lot of what I had already um learned about the subject because she was always talking about it and she was always talking about i mean the 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 basic fundamentals is is not the diversity of the research it's that so many different people in so many different places from so many different backgrounds who have technically been dead have had similar experiences and reported them um in environments in which you can you have reasonable controls or reason to believe that they weren't being fed information by other near-death experienced people um an ex an experience of being out of body, an experience of light that had, um, I don't, I'm searching for the right word for it, like a force as opposed to an illumination, like a presence, uh, the sense of encountering loved ones or people you understood to be loved ones who presented you with a choice about whether or not to go back or didn't present you with a choice and said it's not your time yet. Um, some of the experiences had negative effects on people. But I think for the most part, there were positive experiences for these people. Like they, they felt like they came back believing that so much of what they thought. I mean, we've seen this story in a lot of movies already. And this isn't actually the story that I told. Um, but that what they believed to be important in everyday life was not. That other things were more important. Love was more important. Right. Um, compassion was more important. The, I, the book that I wanted to write was a thriller and it was dark and it was scary and it was about someone who had turned up evidence of all of this by accident, by terrible accident. And so and that, that's really, and here's the other elliptical thing I'll say about it. And this is almost like a treasure hunt for our party people who are curious about this. We did an episode of a show. I forget. I think it was Mysteries of the National Parks. Um, it was an insane show. It was part of our What Science series right. here at Christopher and Eric. There was another episode of that show that I watched, and I won't tell you what it is, but it was so ridiculous. The premise or the conspiracy theory that they were covering and its connection to a famous national park in America was so ridiculous, I sat with it and I thought, how would I write a story that could plausibly, not plausibly, but convincingly and entertainingly encompass just a pie slice of this completely bonkers conspiracy theory. And I'm not even going to tell you what episode it was. I'm not even going to tell you, well, you'll know it's Glacier National Park, so that because that's in the synopsis of the book. But um, <laughs> if you go and find that episode, it will spoil one of the major twists in the book. So I'm just going to warn you right there. But so all of this, it was like a stew that came together in this idea. But the other piece of it, and this didn't, this probably informed as much of the story as the near-death experiences, was a show, well, it wasn't a show, it was a movie we watched here as part of, I th- technically not part of True Crime TV Club, but it was on episode 57. By your recommendation, we watched a documentary movie oh, called right. Crazy Not Insane. Yeah, that seemed like it was going to be different than what it turned out to be. It didn't, but it was really about the scientist who posited that the real 
uh, homicidal, homicidal violence that we see in people, particularly in serial predators, has got a really firm connection to traumatic brain injury early in life. That, that there may be other factors, but that is highly likely to be a major one. Physical brain alteration that yeah. actually yeah, produced some of that. And that's addressed yeah. in the book as well. But honestly, just to give you the basic intro... These two kids, brother and sister, they, they hike away from the parent for their dad's campsite in Glacier National Park when they're about 10 years old. They're hit by this wave of light that knocks them right off their feet. And nobody ever adequately explains what it was. And what their father believes it was ends up destroying the family and setting the stage for the whole novel. And that's like, that's the first fi- chapter. 15 years later. 15 years later. <laughs> We're off and running. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio Um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences, the page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Like during the break, I was like, "Okay, I said everything I needed to say yeah. about my book." And I'm so like, looking at you just like, be cute for the next. <laughs> Wear something tight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was. I it was like I, I can I get I guess I can imagine the the conspiracy part of it, but that's really not the thing that you've invented in the book. Is the thing that was the most sort of mind blowing part of it. That was the thing to me that was. Like you, t- your your point of departure may have been your crazy conspiracy sort of mm-hmm. whatever, but but where you went with that and what the the way in which that manifests in the it's the opening part of the book that is the most that was so riveting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the connection between the two of them and the way in which that plays out. I don't want to be too specific because I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. It's really fun and it's the kind of book. Where once it starts going, it's going. That's so my goal. Yeah. Put yourself like don't start until you have time to read the book, mm-hmm. because it's one of those books where once once you get in there, it's got a kind of momentum 
that gets going and it goes and the momentum picks up as it goes along. It doesn't yeah. slow down. There's not lapses where and then like in the Marvel movies where like let's go to a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> talk about our relationships and our feelings about being yes. superheroes and then let's go defeat Voltron or right. whatever his name was and take his gloves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's the, the the Gucci version of the Marvel That's universe. Right. That's yes, the absolutely. one I went to. Um, I uh, am in a weird place with one thing about my books lately because my books have gotten longer the older I've gotten, and I've, I'm it's a concern. It's a sort of knee jerk concern that mostly publishers have when they don't have a very nuanced approach to your writing, which is if it's that long, it's going to turn readers off. They're not going to. It's too long. Too many pages. What are they talking about? But people say over and over again to me who read them, it did not read like a long book. It didn't, you know. So I'm I, glad to hear you say you I felt have, it had yeah. momentum. I have always thought that was one of those, particularly, like, when I first started in publishing, everything was on paper and it was, you know, page count mattered. Like, it was an expense. Mm-hmm. Like after a certain number of pages, a book was more expensive to publish. Like they they yeah. would talk to you about that kind of stuff. Um, now in the world of digital publishing, I just discussions of how long a book is just seem sort of absurd to me. Like one of the things that I enjoy about Disney Plus's Marvel Universe mm-hmm. is it's like reading a book that just keeps getting bigger. Right. Like, I already like it, so it doesn't matter how much bigger the book gets mm-hmm. because there's always more. There's, you know, the road rises up to, to meet me, like like the Irish blessing, right? The, right? the book rises up to meet me. If I'm enjoying it, why would I be in a rush to, for it to be over with? that's the thing. It's and since like, it's not on paper, who cares? If you're complaining about the length of the book... It's it, you're complaining about the book. What you mean is you don't really like the book, which yeah. is fine. It's a valid criticism. If you want it to be over with. Right. I have a real, I have a real easy tip for you. Yeah, and I think stop reading it. I, I'm a little because I feel like cranky old guy on this topic. I feel like the word lean is used as a word of praise in book criticism right now, and it is not fundamentally by itself praise. To say that something is lean. Plenty of cuts of meat with no flavor are lean. Well, it's not also accurate in describing books that are successful and heads. Yeah. Like, I'm running through my mind of the biggest selling books that I've, you know, the last of recent memory. And they're all big, fat, chunky books. Like, I don't remember any, you know, 150-page book being the big, what was that? Oh, what was the name of it? I don't know. You need to do a facial expression. It's the Watson. It's, um, oh, what was his name? He killed himself. He killed himself. Infinite Jest. Oh, David Foster Wallace. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not a tiny, not no, a tiny. not a tiny. Uh, or um, the, the, the Corrections or no. um, Prince of Tides or. Or um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Right. Or, or the, the Nightingale is a pretty hefty book. That absolutely. was a huge book. Or yeah. the, uh, yes, it, it, it goes on. The list goes on and on. I just find, I always find that to be like, I don't even understand what it's in reference to. Tell me what books you're talking about. These really short books that you're so fond of. Like, what are what are they? I I, I think that it's this, and I think the same is true in the other direction. Yeah, I think it's a fear-driven attitude 
based on this idea that if they don't think the author is famous enough or they think they're trying to sell something new, that readers are not going to take a risk on it based on the page count alone. And I think that misunderstands how readers assess risk. I think they start to read a sample of the first chapter or they read the jacket flap and there are either tasty, exciting elements in there or there are not. And they right. pass it by. Like I'm at a point right now with World War II where it's like, no, thank you. I'm like, I don't want to read a lot of World War II historical fiction, and it's incredibly popular. Like, everybody I know was writing, and part of that is because The Nightingale was such a big hit by Kristen Hanna. And, and part of it is because a lot of people who have World War II stories to tell are going to step up and seize this moment, right. and more power to them. But when I see that, it's like, I don't care if your book is 150 pages or 400 pages, I'm going to keep on passing by. And I think that's how a lot of decisions are made. And I think people are more engaged with novels in which they see themselves represented. I think they are more likely to engage... I, I, th this may be a dismissive attitude of mine, but I think that you get criticism of books that harps on the little details or picks apart kind of, I don't, I don't know, cosmetic things as if they were major structural failings in the book because there is a sense of alienation between the book's dominant point, point of view and the person who is reading it. You know, and I know I've been guilty of it in my life. It's like, I don't really, this character doesn't move me. I don't feel a deep sense of connection to them. So I'm going to start focusing entirely on the wooden dialogue or the, or the sluggishness here. I don't, I don't know. So I, I, it's very weird and complicated how people respond to books, but the length thing I think has been used against us forever. And I would also say that the reverse is also true. Like, a shorter book is not a bad book. Like, right, yeah, totally. That's also not a true... Like, I just... I think that's just a dumb thing to say. I, honestly, I feel the same way about movies. Right. Like, if it's a bad movie, it doesn't make any difference how long it is. It's, if I'm not going to watch it, if I don't want to watch it. Right. But movies used to be like... I. I don't think Lawrence of Arabia is a bad movie, and I have no, I can't even guess how long that is. It had an intermission mm -hmm. and an orchestral score. So did The Sound of Music. So did My Fair yeah. Lady. So did Gone with the Wind. So did a lot of big, giant movies from way back when. And now we're, you know, like, I, I and I love a good 90 minute movie. But my God, you we're... put together an action packed 90 yeah. minute movie that just roars through and is done at 90 minutes. Like, that's fine too. And people are like, oh my God, it's over two hours. I'm going to die. And it's like, wow, what disease is that? But also, simultaneously, we're living in the era where people have broken up movies into 10 episode limited series. So it's like there, there are people who are willing to, a lot of people willing to spend that amount of time on a piece of entertainment. The word that somebody used, and I think they used it complimentary of the of Sapphire Sunset, which is the gay romance I released a few months ago, immersive. What I'm after is an immersive experience. Right. And more often than not, that requires some more words. That requires more than what they said and what they did. That requires um, what the air smelled like. What were people doing on the sidewalk around them where they had the conversation? These little... Nora Roberts is a master of this. Like, she is the, considered the queen of romance, and rightfully so. But she has the ability to, these telling details that make you feel like you are in a scene, like with these people. Right. You are sitting there at the table with them, 
having the food. I was like, my mother could do it. And you're I having think, an experience that you would not necessarily get to have in your right. own life. Like, exactly. That's the, that, there's great joy. Yeah. Your mom had an amazing ability yeah. for it. Somebody comes in and tells a story and you're suddenly in this. Ancient Rome or, yeah, yeah Paris or, in the 18th century. I used to, the thing that I used to love about reading her books when they came out new was that it was a trip home. I yeah. get to go back to Louisiana for a bit because she, it took me there. It yeah. really did. It was the images that she evoked and the immersive nature of the way in which she wrote. I think that's a great way to describe it. I think yeah. that's terrific. You want something that gives you that kind of experience. And yeah, and I if if your criticism is about page count, then you should really get out of the business. Yeah, totally. Because I just don't see how that relates. I just, right now, I think where I see people being very forgiving of it is in high fantasy, obviously. You know, somebody in publishing oh said God. to me recently, if a high fantasy novel is under 500 pages, nobody wants to read it because the presumption is you didn't do enough to build an alternate reality. Right. And Decimate is a thriller with an alternate reality inside of it, and that added a lot of words to the book. So... It's really funny that I'm surprised to even hear you say that because I didn't have any reaction to Decimate as being a long book. Like, I added about 50,000 words to the version that you read. So that's about the length of what a lot of people would consider a novel. Fifty to 60,000 words would be a contractual minimum, but it, I, think I, I think that's it. I added 50,000 words. So the whole point of this episode is to tell you how long Decimate is. Apparently. So if you're not prepared yeah. to read a book, then you should not read a book I just I just think it's I just think it's a crazy criticism it's like yeah. saying I don't like this movie the posters are terrible <laughs> like I don't know what that has to do with whether or not you like the movie I yeah. just I just think that's a crazy detail that has page count this can imagine if somebody said of a, of a great work of art this canvas is much too large yeah totally I, and I imagine a, they might have. A terrible painting. This canvas is enormous. Like, yeah. how ridiculous. Or it's too small. The My Mona Mr. Lisa's. Quinn, what an enormous canvas you have. Right. Oh, uh, you have such a head for knowing, Such Cosmo. a canvas. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like, okay, so there's all that. And um, then there's, like, I always go through the, is it, is it truly scary or is it just gross? <laughs> Like, I ask that of myself with every scene that I write that I try to make scary. Is this truly, like, nerve-jangling, or is this going to just get a gross-out, visceral response? And I don't know if there's anything in this book I would necessarily— No, there's some gross stuff in this book. I don't the, know. But, there, there are. Yeah. There's there's some um, aftermath. There's some results mm -hmm. that that produce— I the, What was the one, the— um, the heavens rise, that mm. the animals in the field, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the yeah, the mind control thing. There were some moments of, with that yeah. that was like, wow, that's a lot. Um, yeah. The thing that scared me about your book is the thing that scares me usually um, when I'm if I'm if something's going to scare me is creating the possibility that whatever it is, no matter how far fetched could actually happen to me mm -hmm. if it, it occurs in a way that seems real, mm -hmm. real enough to me. That's where, that's when I start to get yeah, like things that are like so fantastical don't really frighten me because I don't feel any real, I don't know that this is a relationship to, because sometimes it may be a far-fetched thing mm -hmm. that I don't really have any 
real genuine fear that it will happen to me, but if it could possibly happen to me. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, my the scariest movie that I've ever seen is The Hitcher. Yes. And it's really about a guy picking up a hitchhiker. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like the guy who he picks up is right. the worst, craziest, you know, like, but that could happen. That's real. You mm-hmm. know, like the chances of somebody being quite that crazy and the chances of me actually picking up a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Since I don't even drive. I was going to say. Yeah, my Uber driver is not going to pull over and pick up somebody because they're playing <laughs> them out. Um, That's a whole nother horror story. Com- your Uber driver. What if your Uber driver is crazy? Right. Yeah. Right. But but it, it, is, it, is, the, it is that ultimate foundation. That was the thing that got me um, about, about Decimate was that sense of, of having that occur in my life and with people in my life. We're being so elliptical about this book. I'm really, really trying hard very to... hard not to say things that are not in your book anymore and well, there's not that. spoil stuff about I don't book. know how much is not in it anymore that you like, but I think that, um, I'll put it this way, if you're a fan of my Burning Girl novels, those are about putting a superpower into the hands of the heroine. This book puts a superpower into the hands of a really scary, imbalanced, damaged villain. There we go. Really? Really scary. Like, And I just think that is a terrifying concept. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck Christopher. 
ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So we aren't just going to talk about me and my new book, Decimate, during this right. podcast. We've got our Wednesday question. We have our Wednesday Thursday question, but we're going to start with Eric Shaw Quinn. We asked people, what is the creepiest or scariest book you've ever read? Well, you know, when you told me that, I was casting around for what it... And this is the, the experience that really stood out for me. I've been frightened by any number of things that I've read, and I've had those kinds of experiences. But when I read... Um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm. I read it in one sitting because I had to know yeah. that he was caught. Yes. It's the same thing I was just talking about. Like, that was really all, you know, far-fetched, but it was possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And could happen. And I could, you know, like, see it, like, intervening in my life. And I needed to know that everybody was caught. Yes. That I was safe. Like, right. that... At the and so I I actually read that book. I sat up all night long, and I was it was the middle of a work week. I went in to, to work the next day, like Whoa. Yeah, right. But I there was no going to sleep mm-hmm. until I had finished. So I guess I would have to pick that as yeah. being maybe the scariest book I ever read because that reaction was so strong. The only other book that I ever read in one sitting was the um, was it. I started to call it The Stand, and that's not – it's The Road, the Cormac no, McCarthy say, book. If you read The Stand in one sitting, Oh, my sir. God. Jesus wow. Christ. That would be a week-long sitting. Right. No, I quite like The Stand, although mm-hmm. it didn't really scare me in the way that um, – It's not the same kind it's of not book. A, it's no. not a scary book in that way. Um, um, but, yeah, the, the Road. I actually read The Road in one sitting as but well. But you weren't scared by The no, Road. No, it wasn't. It was too compelling. I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. I was yeah. so swept up in it that mm-hmm. – that I couldn't, but yeah, I, Silence of the Lambs. Well, my scariest one is a companion to yours because mine is Red Dragon. Oh, well. Yeah. And I thought of Red Dragon, but I didn't have the setup all night. And with me, it's the details. It's like, two, first of all, the Francis Dollarhide, I think that's his name, the yeah. reporter that he glues to the wheelchair and sets on fire. Oh I literally God. burst into tears and ran screaming for my mommy. I was like, Mom! That is like, the most. <laughs> it's terrifying. It is such a brutal, horrible. Horrible. Horrible scene. You actually ran for your mom. I really did. How old are you? I don't know. Uh, 24? No. I was like uh, 15. Oh. Oh, 15 or 16. Yeah, I was like, Mom. Um, I, there is a little detail. It's just a small detail that they mention, and it is so creepy. The serial killer kills families and breaks into their house in the middle of the night, which is already the scariest thing ever. which is already terrifying. And they describe that on one of the murdered little boys that there are dust bunnies in his hair that indicate he was hiding under the bed and was pulled out. Oh, God, I can't even. It's like I can't. Oh, God, I forgot that. And it's like it lodges in your head and it never leaves. The mirrors. Oh, yeah, the mirrors. Mirrors in their eyes. Oh, God, yeah. That really, yeah, Terrifying. Terrifying book, terrifying. So, but I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of responses on Facebook, but there was a clear winner. And this is not a scientific poll, and I didn't really, but the one that I just kept seeing over and over and over again, Stephen King's It. That's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Did you read it? I think so. Yeah. At this point, like, there's so many things in my life where it's like, I think I read that, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure anymore. But I feel like I did because mm-hmm. it was that, it was the eminent threat mm-hmm. that was so frightening about that book. Yeah. 
Like you didn't know what the threat was, but it was it was coming. It was a shapeshifter, really. It could be anything. That was what was so scary about it. It could be the Paul Bunyan statue. True. It could be the clown. It could be the woman who was next door. I mean, it turned into your fears. That was it. Right. That was it. It became your fear. Pennywise became yeah. whatever it was yeah. that you were afraid of. Um, yeah, I guess that was pretty terrifying. I, I will say this. Um, we rarely, when we ask a question about something scary, mom's name almost never comes up. But the witching hour came up a bunch. A couple of people said the witching hour. They never say the vampire novels are scary. I don't. It's different. The, the vampire some, novels yeah. are more gothic romance. I think. Yeah, I can see that. The witching hour ha- is there. The stakes are up, and it seems more. There is more of a threat. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Jennifer Marie Tunmeyer was working in a in a I'm trying to figure out the story during the same time that I was working at a jail I was working at a jail that was reputed to be haunted oh that's uh, and a someone good, down the hall I'm so sorry you had to do that Jennifer, she was Jesus. uh trying to get her her coworker to read the witching hour they didn't reach chapter 5 before they threw it down the hall towards the area where she was working while screaming that they had no idea how I could read Anne Rice in a haunted jail while in an area open to the public <laughs> I still laugh thinking about that, and it's been 25 years. Yeah, The Witching Hour has a ghost in it, and ghosts freak people out. I th- and and it's very well developed. Yeah. Like, I really, the man is really, he's mm-hmm. there, and he's there, and it continues to build, and you don't quite get what the myth- the mythology is, and so you're slowly, but, but you can see the threat coming up behind these people who don't realize there's a threat. I think mm-hmm. that's the part of it that... That becomes off as scary. My experience with um, The Witching Hour, it's funny, it's a book that got thrown a lot. I threw The Witching Hour through a window. The window was closed. I threw it through the glass part of the window. I didn't intend to. When I got to the end Mm -hmm. and it was to be continued. It's a cliffhanger ending. Spoiler alert. And uh, yeah, yeah, if if you're going to read The Witching Hour, go ahead and get the other books because you're going to want to know. What happens next? And it doesn't tell you. I was so, and this was, it would, I had to wait for it to be published. It mm-hmm. wasn't like I could run, go get the next book. I right. had to, I had to wait. And I was so frustrated that I threw the book and I overshot the mark and it went straight through a glass window mm-hmm. right out the back of my house. I was like, uh oh, that yeah. was, that was a bigger reaction than I want. That was how passionately I felt about the book. It wasn't a rejection of it. It was, yeah, it was, I felt, Betrayed. Oh uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a challenge, and that is a yeah. There should, there should be a sticker on the Witching Hour letting people know this. Buy the second book now. Buy, buy Lasher, the bundle. Buy Lasher. Yeah, buy them all. Buy them all. Um, Patricia Senevel also said Silence of the Lambs, so she's with you. Oh yeah, and we had a couple of people say nonfiction. Two people said Helter Skelter, which is the you tale know, of the Manson never murders. Read that? Yeah. That would be, yeah. And part of the reason I've never read that is that it's the thing I was saying. It's that that really happened. I know. I think that would be too scary for me. I'm not sure if I could read I'm that. I'm firmly, when it comes, horror has different camps, and I am firmly in the humans are the scariest monster camp. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Hence the hitcher. Yeah. Uh, Derek Schindler says, not so much the book itself was scary, but I was reading Salem's Lot with just one lamp on. It was very late at night. Out of nowhere, my black cat jumped up on my stomach and scared the pee out of me. (laughs) I let out a scream. He let out a startled meow and ran away to the bedroom, as all cats should do. 
Oz. I can't remember. What is Salem's Lot? Which vampire. Is Stephen King's Vampire Story. Okay. It reads today like two old gay men open an antique shop in a small town and terrify everyone. They're very, it's, there's some passages in it that are a little bracing by today's standards, but whatever. Um, yeah, survivable. Yeah, I can't, I can't even remember. I, I, saying this, the, the antique shop does remind me. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think, uh, a bu- again, oh, two mentions of Thomas Tryon, who I haven't read. You've read Thomas Tryon. Oh, that's a good, scary book writer. I really, yeah. I think he's scare, much scarier than Stephen King. You do? King, Why is that? Stephen King doesn't really scare me because I, again, feel some detachment. The The menace of it is a really good. Yeah. That's that's pretty. But usually with Stephen King, there's a kind of gross factor, but what? But, but there is a remove to it. And with Carrie, I actually feel like I want to be Carrie. So... Mm. You know, identify mm-hmm. with it so that that's actually sort of a personal empowerment book. Um, Thomas Trent, the other, the, the, uh, uh, Marie Brandt, and um, oh, uh, and Anne Perry both said the other by Thomas Trent. The other is really, yeah. Thomas Trent has a great. Thomas Trent is a really great storyteller, mm-hmm. and he has a way of telling you story. Anne had the same kind of quality, telling you a story where you don't necessarily see what's coming. Mm. And as as the story goes, and it's the details are you're getting all the details that you need mm-hmm. to know what it is that's coming, but you don't see it until right. it happens to you. And there's this uh, there is a reversal at the midpoint in the other that is just Ooh, you're making me want to read it. Mind blowing. Right. There's also one. Oh God, I can't remember the name of it. Mm. I can't remember. It's like think, crowned heads or something like yes, that. Yes, it is. I bought it on your recommendation, but I haven't read it. Oh god. Yeah, but yeah. it was scary. That one was really more sort of um, fantastical. I'm going to okay. go with fantastical. It's it's like scary. It's like spooky romance. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll say for that one. That one's more spooky. The other is full on. Yeah, that one will get you. I'll tell you where my limit is with body horror. And there's a book out there, two people mentioned this one, called The Troop by Nick Cutter. And I think it's about a Boy Scout troop that gets infected by something in the woods. And I'm like, no, mm-mm. no, I'm out. I, I don't do that. Ew. I don't do body stuff. I don't do, like, like diseases. They die or it transforms them? Because, yeah. like, the 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 Captain Trips in The Stand Yeah, is, I think this is more gruesome. I think it it's like wears a flesh you out, virus. But it, there's a point after which it's gone. It's over, yeah, and no. then it is, you've moved on to life after yeah, no, I half the population dies. But, um... Yeah. Um... Pet Cemetery is gross. Uh, Pet Cemetery. Two people mentioned Pet Cemetery. Very gross. That's just gross. Yeah, you think it's just gross? I just thought that was such... That, no, it was... There was a scary part to it. Did you read it? I or, did. Okay. I did. I read um, Pet Cemetery. I read everything until the Tommyknocker. Oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that was the. I, end re- for me. I read the. Tommy and then I stopped. And mm-hmm. then it was like, nope, that's enough. That's yeah. just enough. That's yeah. too much for me. Um, but um, Pet Cemetery, there, it was creepy. Mm-hmm. Like the the little boy. Yeah. That is so fucking creepy. And so but, fucking creepy. But yeah, things kind of decaying and coming mm-hmm. back and partly rotted and stuff that was there was a gross factor to yeah to um to pet cemetery that was also a little nauseating um you know the story about pet cemetery allegedly this could be an urban what is the story he gave it to tabitha his wife and she said put this one back in the drawer (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it might not be true, but uh, there are a lot of stories of from his life and career of his wife telling him the truth about stuff. Well, my favorite story about the the two of them is that she pulled the um, yes. carry back out of the trash can and right. sent it back to the publisher, and right. that was the you know, best thing she ever did. Yeah. Like that, and I know he that's true. He thinks so too. Oh, I bet that is. Of all of the books that he's read, that's my favorite. It's that a pretty great written. book. It is so perfect. Yeah. It is absolutely, it's, and it's a perfect example. Of, it's a really short book. Yeah. It's not a very long book. Like, no. The Stand is great, and I love The Shining, and there was, you know, some fun books, but Carrie is really actually pretty brief, And but it captures that thing that we all feel. Did you ever do that thing where you took your fingers and smushed the heads mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that were at a distance from you mm-hmm. that, because that's what you wished you could do. Like everybody wants to be Carrie at some point in their adolescence mm-hmm. where they can make the people they hate just blow up. Absolutely. And that's what he did. Bridget Seiler Olson got far more literary in her responses. She said, the scariest thing I ever read was back in elementary school. I think it was third or fourth grade. It was the dystopian short story, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. I had a very vivid imagination, and this did give me bad dreams. The novel The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, another dystopian tale, is a close second. I guess I have a preoccupation with man's inhumanity to man or woman, as the case may be. Yeah, what do you get? What's the lottery? Tell me the lottery. Oh, the lottery is a terrifying. You've seen it redone a million times, but it's like. Every I, I forgive me if I get it wrong. Like once a year, there's a lottery, and they stone someone in the village by lottery, and it's nobody's. It's about groupthink. It's about yeah. I don't. I'm, I, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. it. That's what I was remembering. I they just, just like do it to, because it's what they do, and nobody knows when why. When you said Salem's Lot, I was like, is that the no. one? That, and it was like, no, that's the one. That's yeah. the one we're talking about. Um, Handmade Sale. Yeah, I think that can be really. It is. It is the thing that upsets me most in the world. Is people being deliberately cruel to other people? That yeah. that upsets me more than anything else in the world. Um, Why is that, Eric Shawquan? Because it's completely unnecessary. It's optional, right? It is completely unnecessary. It is the thing that makes me wish, hope that there is no such thing as reincarnation. As reincarnation, because yes. I don't like the way people treat each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I just, because it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. There is no need to be mean to other people like that. We can compete for stuff and, you know, there's winners and there's losers. And that's how, you know, that part right. I can accept. But being deliberately cruel to somebody just mm-hmm. because you can be is just, I can't quite take that. I And I have to say it's my kind of, with a lot of horror, it's it, movies in particular, if you're just, going to be asked to watch people be tortured to death for which most horror movies for a while there in the early aughts did yeah that's just boring. i just i i can't but like why would you t- i just i anyway and then i i i write these killers that do horrible things but i set them up to be taken down by people i hope you can root for and i think that's what decimate is about to bring it full circle but you know it's a yeah. i want to you crack open some measure of darkness so that you can define what light is by it um, not because I have some deep abiding need to root for a serial killer, you know. Like I think you want to, you want to cut their brains open in a weird way and try try to speculate on what makes them tick. But I don't necessarily want to valorize any of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, yeah. I completely understand that. I yeah. just it's much more interesting to me. You know, I'm the I'm an Agatha Christie crime reader. I like yeah. to like 
I'm from the side of the point of view of the person solving the crime. Like, yeah, the criminals are like, I, why did you make that choice? Like, yeah. why, why would you do that? We, we come up against it again and again in the, um, in the true crime TV club, you know, like why not just divorce your wife? That's the one that gets me. Yeah. Why not just get a divorce? Like, yeah. okay, it's going to cost you money or then stay with her. I, yeah. You know, like, and go have an affair, cheat, and be whoever you want to be. Like, why did you need to do that? That's it's just really like, yeah. I just it it it's very hard for me to comprehend that kind of. But we're two single people for yeah. a reason. Not because we've killed anybody. We didn't kill anybody. No. No, but but it's like I can't imagine. I, and maybe it's because at this point in my life, what am I forty? I don't know. Yeah, blankety blank, forty blank, blankety years four, old. blankety four, blankety years old. Um, I can't imagine being that completely enmeshed with somebody else that you can't envision a life for yourself beyond them. Because I feel like it's a version of that. It's not, and it's not like a loving, attached version. It's I can't imagine my life having divorced this person, so I have to kill them. I, it just makes no sense. You're right. Or I it's want crazy. to be completely absolved of responsibility. So yeah, I murdered my whole family. Like that's the one that I just can't even. Like, just don't take responsibility for them. Like, yeah. it would be an asshole move, but I nothing compared to killing them. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, it's, yeah. Anyway, so off, a little bit off topic. Boy, the, we veered the off topic. The topic today there. was Decimate and scary books that we have read or are going to read. And if you're going to read Decimate, you're going to read a scary book. That's yeah. what I'm saying. But I mean, I mean, I, I was shocked by the extent to which it was the clear winner. It is. I really Also, let me just draw it back. The longest book Stephen King has ever written. Yeah. So here's yeah. for long books. Perfect fold, perfect right. fold, and and yeah. yeah. It's the And the Witching Hour, the longest book Anne ever wrote. Over a it thousand is, pages. It yeah. is really, yeah. I just, if the story just takes you in, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And I think they're both scary for the same reason. They're mm -hmm. both, it is that implicit menace. Yeah. With Witching Hour, the people don't realize that they're being menaced. That's the part yeah. that's so scary, is you can see it for them. It's like, don't go in that graveyard right. after midnight or whatever. You're yelling at the people on the screen in the movie theater, and they're just going into a field at night, which actually isn't a particularly scary choice. And... The, with with Stephen King, you don't know where the with it. Yeah, you don't know where the threat is coming. Or what from. it could be. It could turn into anything. It could be anything. It could be That's anywhere. Terrifying. It's coming for you. That was. It was. Yeah. That was a. That was a very scary book. That was a gotcha book. Yeah. Gotcha. So there you go. Decimate already on sale. If it's not at your bookstore, you can request it, which we've explained sharply several times now on the podcast. <laughs> and if they tell you they can't, they're lying. Because somebody's reaching critical mass with reading internet comments, most of which are loving and wonderful, and I love all the comments that I get, except for the you know people who are crazy and attack me over nothing. But um, anyway, so that's out there. A perfect example. Like, why be mean to people? Like, just go talk to somebody else. You don't like what somebody's saying? Don't read that. Go talk uh -huh. to somebody else. But you're you're a swami with the internet. You don't get taken in by internet stuff. You were not a social media addict. You know what my motto is. If it, it happened, happened on the internet, it means it didn't, didn't happen. Really happen. <laughs> it didn't really happen. It did not really you, you, happen. You know this show gets posted on the internet, right? I'm aware of that. Okay. And I you know, like if you're taking this show personally, I'd like <laughs> to point out to you. It didn't really. It's just two queens talking. Just Christopher and I running our mouths. Like running I just, yeah. If it's a problem, there's an off button on whatever you're listening to this on. And I should say this because we talked about this earlier. 
The reason Eric rarely knows what's... I mean, he does know what's in my final drafts, but his notes are so good. Someone called you the book doctor the other day, and I said, you're mine already. Don't I like that. Um, your notes are so good, they inspire a really large rewrite before publication. So That's just, very... Thank you. Credit. Well, if it's necessary, I don't think it always requires that, because sometimes... I know. Pretty, sometimes you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, it's and like, sometimes you're already pretty close to the mark. Some books are I'm further saying. along. Decimate was not. I knew Decimate. I was biting well, off were, a lot. You and, were making it out of whole cloth. Yeah. So th- those kinds of books, you really do have to, like move around a lot before you can kind of figure out where you actually want to go. So that makes more sense. Like Indeed. with the romance books, you had a much clearer sense of where you were going. And there were some suggestions, but it wasn't anything like 50,000 pages. That's quite no, the, words, words, not I mean, pages. Words. <laughs> I mean, words. I'm sorry, pages. Can you imagine? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think 50,000 pages may actually be too long. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's a I career. I think we agree to that. That's Although if it's a really good book, you could just keep reading it for 10 years. Absolutely. All right, next week we're back to True Crime TV Club. We're talking about a, uh, well, it's not a movie. It's an hour-long special on Netflix called Long Shot. And uh, our standard disclaimer is you do not have to watch the shows we are going to talk about. We serve them up in enough steaming detail that you can walk away feeling like you watched it when really you just listened to us run our mouths for 50 minutes. So isn't that a great pitch? Yeah, it's a it's a murder story in which uh, that involves Larry David. Larry David. Larry David murdered someone. No, he didn't. That's fake news. Larry David did not murder anyone, but it does involve Larry David. We're just going to put it out there. couldn't just leave it at there's a murder story involving (laughs) Larry Larry David. David. I like Larry. Couldn't just let it be a tease. (laughs) Because it's like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode that they think Larry murdered someone or he accidentally did murder someone. That's like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. But anyway, you don't like Curb Your Enthusiasm, so I'm going to stop talking and you're giving me a look. (laughs) I'm just waiting. I just thought, well, this is going to go on until the caffeine runs out. Oh, the caffeine never runs out at TDPS Network. That's why we have the sound effects of tea pouring between every segment. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Yes, exactly. Hope it wasn't too long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.